Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams continues the series, Blessed or Cursed. We as a nation are more blessed than any other in this world, yet we struggle with selfishness more than any other. Brandon challenges us with our finances and the excuses we make on why we don't give. Good morning. Hope everybody's doing good. Glad to see you. Um, already been an awesome morning. Believe it's going to continue to be awesome. Believe God is going to speak to our hearts, do incredible things in our lives through his word. In fact, we're just going to jump straight in today. Um, listen, we just sang a song called Our God. Somebody walking around behind me. I feel like uh, it's Greg. Bye, Greg. Um, we just sang a song called Our God, and, and we made a declaration that our God is greater, our God is stronger. My question to you today, because here's the thing, I don't doubt that one bit. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Um, He's higher than any other. My question to you today is this. Are you walking in the blessed life of God because he is the one true God in your life? Are you walking in the the life-giving spirit of God? Are you living in the blessed life that Jesus died for you to have? Are you living under the blessing of, of, of being forgiven in Christ? Are you living under the blessing of knowing that no matter what happens tomorrow, your eternity is secure? We just proclaim that he, Jesus, is our God. My question to you today is, is he really God over everything? I want to set the message up like this this morning, okay? A little, little something different, a little something different. I'm going to set it up for you. Um, and here's the thing. How many of you remember a little game? You remember a little game back in the day, back when I was a young buck, probably about 10, 12 years old. And you remember a game called Super Mario Brothers that came out like early 90s. There it is. Yeah. Like for my generation, the greatest game ever. I know y'all got like Halo and all that. The greatest game ever, Super Mario. I literally played Nintendo until I had blisters on my hands. And let's just say, for example, today, that's a little hypothetical situation. Let's say that this game just came out. I had the opportunity to play this game. I was a master at this game. I knew all of the little shortcuts in this game, how to get all the extra life. Was that not amazing when you figured out how to get the extra life? When you, you like got into this new world or you found this world with all these coins. I knew all the shortcuts. I knew that you could press B when you ran and it made you run faster and you could run over all the little holes that were in the ground. I knew that if you got on the top step and you pressed B and ran at the same time, you could jump every time to the top of the flagpole, getting extra points, getting extra points so you could get extra men. What if I shared every one of those little tricks with you? And here's the deal. What if I told you about every obstacle that you were going to face? For example, this guy right here. Yeah, mushrooms, shrooms, right? Mushrooms. Told you about them. All you got to do is jump on their head, man. Splat. Obstacle gone. What about this one? Tricky little things, weren't they? You never knew if you were standing on a flower pot that was going to eat you or not. And there was always that, that, that time, that occasion when you thought, I'm safe, I'm safe. And then all of a sudden it's like, you, you, you die. Right? What about this one? Little bullets. Remember that? What if I told you about every single obstacle that you were going to encounter, that you were going to run into, as you played this game, and, and, and let's say, and let's say your life is riding on it. And the one thing, your goal, the one thing that you want to do more than anything else is save the princess. And I told you about every single obstacle that you are going to encounter except for one. That guy. Bowser. The most deadly of them all. You got to admit, the first time you got in the dungeon and you thought you were about to save the princess and he came flipping out of there, it scared you, right? It did. There's, and he used to make me so angry. And by the time you got to the end of the game, it was almost impossible to defeat him without the little fire bullets, right? What if I told you about every obstacle that was going to hinder you from achieving your goal, of, of, from, from finishing the game, but I left out the biggest, most dangerous the largest obstacle of them all. See, I believe that is what we, the church, have been doing for years. 
And the one obstacle that the Bible teaches us is the greatest hindrance to us running this race of faith, to finishing and finishing well, the Bible tells us is money. But here's the thing. When's the last time you really heard the, the Bible taught about what it says about money? When's the last time you sat in church and it wasn't just about trying to get the 10% that the church feels like you owe them, but it was actually about what the Bible says about money. Basically, we, the church, have turned biblical teaching in, on money into one of, one of a few things. Listen, one of the things we've done is we've turned it into basically a campaign that happens once a year to make sure we meet our budget. Something else we've turned it into is we've, we've, we've talked about it apologetically. It's like every time I hear somebody talk about money, they get up and they're like, well, I'm sorry, we got to talk about money today, but you know, we got to have money to function in the church. And man, if we can, and I'm like, just say it. Just talk about it. I mean, Jesus talked about it more than heaven, hell, prayer, any other subject. So why do we ignore it? When it's been talked about, we, we've, we've messed it up because we've talked about it unbiblically from the standpoint that it's been slanted toward a man-centered view of what we can get rather than what we've already been given. Right? Well, if you'll give, you'll get. Listen, and hear me clearly. God has promised to meet all of our needs if we'll trust him. And that includes our finances. What he didn't promise is to meet all of our greeds. To write a check and just think that God's going to cash it, that's not spiritual, that's stupid. It's going to be fun today. Are y'all excited? This is awesome. But seriously, guys, why have we done this? Why, why have we gotten to a place where we have literally refused to talk about money, where we've done it apologetically, where we, we, we stand up here and we're, we're ashamed most of what God has to say about finances and about honoring him with our, with our money. And this is what I believe. I believe that the reason the church has strayed away from it, the reason the church has had a problem teaching on it is because it's a sore spot, isn't it? It is a sore spot. It's like when you get sunburned on your back, nobody ever pats you on the back until you get sunburned. <laughs> then everybody wants to pat you on the back. It's like, bam, ow, what? I'm sunburned. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a sore spot. And when we talk about money, this is what we do. We point straight into people's heart. It is almost like having a, a cut and taking your finger and going, it hurts. It's a sore spot for people. And so we've shied away from it because this is what we're afraid of. We're afraid that we'll make people angry and that they'll leave. Bottom line, we've neglected to teach on money because we are afraid that it will make people angry and that they will leave. I think the question we need to be asking is why? Why don't we talk about it? And here's, here's the even bigger question. Why wouldn't we give to the local church? Why wouldn't we give to the local church? Isn't that a good question? Why wouldn't we? And so today, that's what we're going to answer. We're going we're to be in Malachi chapter 3. You can turn there. I want to be first and foremost up front that this scripture has probably been hijacked more than any other scripture about finances. But we're going to talk about this, Malachi chapter 3. Listen, if you don't, Malachi's a little bitty book in a big old Bible. Go about two-thirds of the way, find Matthew, hang a left, you'll run into Malachi, okay? You've got to go back like 400 years, but Malachi's there. You will find it. All right, Malachi chapter three, we're gonna read verses six through eight and we're gonna jump in here. And what we're, gonna, we're gonna talk about why would we not give to the local church? Why would we not support the church of God? Why, why would we hold back? Why has it become such a sore spot in the church so that we just don't even talk about it? Malachi three, beginning in verse six. This is God speaking through Malachi. Malachi was a prophet. It didn't mean he like just foretold the future. It meant he brought the word of God to the people. Okay. 
He spoke the word of God to people. He was coming to a people who had been delivered out of um, Babylonian bondage. They'd been set free as God had promised them they would be. They were able to return to their homeland. And yet Malachi is confronting them and saying, listen, you've been set free. You've been delivered. You, you've, you've been blessed by God now that you've been taken out of your bondage. And yet you still refuse to worship him with all that you have. In other words, you're taking your liberty for granted and you're not worshiping God with all that you have because, because he has set you free. And I thought, man, does that not sound like the church today? That we've been set free from the penalty of sin and death through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the perfect one who was slain, who was nailed upon a cross, who took the judgment that you and I deserved that was a substitute for us so that we don't have to be punished. And yet we still oftentimes look at God, we thumb our nose at him, and then we say, God, I'm still not going to worship you with everything that I have. So Malachi is speaking to people very similar to us. Malachi 6, this is what it says, or 3, verse 6. It says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Basically, God's saying, listen, the only reason I haven't killed y'all is because I'm faithful to my promises. And I promised I was going to leave a remnant and that I was going to take over the world and declare my glory to the rest of the world through you. So that's the only reason y'all aren't dead. Thank God for his faithfulness, right? He says, you're not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. Listen, he says, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields and will cast, will cast, not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. Listen to that. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land says the Lord Almighty. The first reason I want to talk about today for why we wouldn't give to the local church is that we haven't been taught. All we just talked about. The church, we just simply have not talked about it. And so number one, we're going to take response. The church needs to take responsibility for the fact that we have not taught biblical teaching on why people should give to the church. It's been skewed. It's been slanted. It's been taken in a different direction. It's been about um, what we can get out of it. And we've removed the fact that at the end of the day, Malachi 3.12 says that the whole purpose for the tithe being brought into the storehouse, the house of God, was so that other nations would look at the people of Israel and call them blessed. It was never supposed to be about man's glory. It was always supposed to be about the glory of God. And so I want to teach you a little bit today about the tithe. And, and we're going to be very basic. We're going to be very basic in this. But, but the first thing I want you to understand is that a tithe means tenth. Okay? Tithe means tenth. It means a tenth of the first of what you get. And basically what God is saying is that the first tenth of everything you receive comes to me. The first of everything you receive. Basically, he's saying, I'm giving you 100%. It all belongs to me. All you got to do, just bring me the 10th. If I were to bring you up on stage today and I said, I've got $1,000, I will give you $1,000. All you have to do is give me 100 back. Would you take it? If not, then duh. Yeah, you take it. That's a pretty good deal. The problem for a lot of us is we don't realize that 100% of everything we had came from God. That this, this thought of a self-made man, that is a lie. The only reason we have anything is because God in his faithfulness, his love and his mercy has chosen to give it to us. Seems to me that God's saying, give me a tenth. That's, a, that's, that's pretty generous. We serve an incredibly generous God. So a tenth, a tithe. Here's a question I always get. Now, preacher, is it 10% of 
of your gross or 10% of your net? How much of it belongs to God? Let me ask you this. Are you really going to give to the IRS before you give to God? Are we really going to give to the IRS before we give to the one who gave his life so that we could even know what life is? That's jacked up. Fun, ain't it? That is messed up. 10% of the gross. And I can tell you this. I am thankful that I can give 10% to God. Because if he didn't give me the other 90, where would I be? And I know this, listen, it is a huge step of faith to trust God with our finances. But I've seen God's faithfulness time and time and time again so much to the point that now I'm not afraid to tithe. I'm afraid not to. Second thing I want you to understand about the tithe is where it goes, it goes to God's house, the church, the local church. Nowhere else in scripture did it go anywhere else. We read here in Malachi, give it, take it to the storehouse. He said, this is my house, that there would be food in my house. The Bible teaches us that it goes to the local church. And this is what people always say, well, what about missions? Awesome, give to missions. After you give to the local church. What about parachurch organizations? Give to parachurch organizations. We ought to be the most generous people on the face of the earth. We ought to understand giving better than anybody else in the world because we have received the greatest gift of all, the free gift of Jesus Christ. Give to parachurch organizations. But everywhere in scripture, the tithe came to God's house. I believe so much in giving to missions. Listen, I support missions myself. I support um, World Vision. I support several parachurch ministries that are in our church. My personal finance, our church believes so much in missions and parachurch organizations and the work that they do. Our church gives like crazy to these organizations. I wish we could give more. The only problem is like we have to pay some people. But I believe in that. But I know this, that scripture teaches that the tithe comes to God's house. I believe in it so much today that we're going to give you an opportunity. I believe so much that we should give to missions, we're going to give you an opportunity. In fact, when you leave today, here's an opportunity for you. There'll be a box sitting at this entrance back here. And, and in that box, you can place an offering that will go to one of two missionaries. And you can, you can put on your check which one you want it to go to. We've got a young lady by the name of Colleen Cower. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you got to meet Colleen. She is a missionary out of our church. This is her home church in Guatemala. We support her monthly. I hope that we increase constantly how much we're able to support her. If you want to give to a, a, a girl um, who is working her rear end off uh, for the glory of God, uh, write on your check, Colleen, or either Guatemala, whatever. We will get it to her and you um, can support her. Another one is uh, Chris and Katie Collins. I believe they're here today. Listen, they are going to South Africa leading a trip. They have to raise money to go to South Africa. We need to support them. We are the church. We are going to support them. We're going to give them money so that they can be resourced to go do what God has called them to do. You can write on your check, Africa. Drop it in the box. We will get that to them. We need to support them. And here's the way you decide. Here's, here's how you know if God's telling you to support them or not. Can you? Then support them. So our priorities are screwed up. This is how we do. We live, we save, we give some to our buddies who are parachurch or missions, and then we give some to the church. We tip God. And it ought to be the exact opposite. We give God's what's first. We support missionaries and parachurch organizations that are getting it done. We save and then we live. That's the reality that the scripture teaches. We need to give to them. Listen, in the book of Acts, tithe came to the church. 1 Corinthians 16, 
Paul instructs the Corinthians, listen, on the first day of the week, what day was that? It was Sunday. That's why we worship on Sunday. He said on the, in your worship service on Sunday, set aside something in the first of the week for a famine that was taking place in Jerusalem. He was going to carry it back. Where did the money go? To the church. We need to be taught. And then listen, listen. This is the last thing I'm going to say about this one because we got a lot to cover. The common argument. You ready? Well, preacher... The tithe was under the law. I live under grace. <clears throat> all right. Let's touch on this. First of all, let me just clear that you're wrong. Okay? The tithe, the first tithe, actually took place in Genesis chapter 12, hundreds of years before the law was ever given. The law did not nullify faith if it had you and I would be in trouble a man named Abraham patriarch of our faith took a tithe of everything he had been given and gave it to a man named Melchizedek who was by many people believed to be a pre-incarnate form of Jesus in other words Abraham according to the Bible by faith took a tithe to Melchizedek and gave it to him. He gave by faith. You get to the life of Jacob. Jacob, because he had been so blessed by God, he took what he had and all the blessing God gave him. He set up a stone. Why a stone? I don't know. Maybe that's all he had. And he said, I will call this the house of God and I'll give a tenth of everything I have to it. Please don't tell me that grace has nullified tithe. That's a cop out. Bottom line. And here, here, listen, if you want to give under grace, that's awesome too. Because you know what? Jesus everywhere in scripture, everywhere that Jesus talks about anything related to the law, he elevated the standard. He never lowered it. For instance, murder. Like you can't kill anybody, now you can't hate anybody. Adultery. Don't even lust in your heart. Jesus never lowered a standard. So here's the good news. You don't have to give a tenth, a tenth. You don't have to give 10%. You can give 20, 30, 40, whatever. However much God lays on your heart. But sometimes I think the reason we don't give is because we haven't been taught. Number two, this will be fun too. Second reason we wouldn't give to the local church, we're not saved. And before you send me an email like, how dare you question my salvation? Well, Okay. I'm not saying you're not saved because you aren't tithing. Hear me in that, okay? I'm saying that why would you tithe if you're not saved? Like if Jesus isn't your God and he's not your savior, why in the world would you give 10% of your money to the church? I'm like, keep it. You hear people, oh, money, you can't buy you happiness. I'm like, you're not spending it right. Bring your money with me. We will have some fun. The problem with money is it just can't buy you um, permanent happiness. It's fun to spend it. I love spending money. The problem is it can't buy you permanent happiness. And here's the thing. I'm going to be real honest with you. I used to dread so much talking about money. Because I was like, they're all going to hate me. They're going to throw stuff at me. They're going to leave. And kind of already happened. But here's the deal. I've gotten now where I actually enjoy talking about finances. And the reason I enjoy talking about it is not because I want something from you. It's because I want something for you. And this is what I've realized in ministry. Nothing like money exposes the condition of our heart. Right? You ever notice like typically people like you preach on adultery in church and like very few people walk out mad. How dare him talk about adultery? You preach on murder like you shouldn't kill people. Nobody walks out like I can't believe he preached on murder. You talk about money. Everybody walks out at lunch, man, my ears will be burning. You remember that whole thing like your grandparents used to say like my ears, your ears must have been burning. We were talking about you. I never really understood that. My ears will be burning you believe he said that about money? Why? It's your God. And here's the thing. If it's our God, it means 
It is the source of your adoration and the source of your security. Not Jesus. That's why when we start messing with money, people get uncomfortable, people get angry, and people get fearful. It's because we mess with the source of their adoration and their security. I can tell you this, when, um, when I was younger and I was dating Susan, I was a very jealous boyfriend. I'm still a jealous husband. Like, you want to get, like, T-boned by the preacher? Like, flirt with my wife. Be like, top, top rope body flop. Like, right? Boom. 200 pounds. And I was that way with her. When somebody messed with, like, when I saw somebody flirting with Susan at school or, or somewhere, like, I would instantly, like, go into a rage. I'd give them the evil eye. Stare them down. Wow, they were messing with what I adored. And for me, she was a source of security. Why did I get upset? See, here's the problem with us with money. So many times, money is our source of adoration and our security to the point where it consumes not just a part of our life, but our whole life. It consumes us at the core of our being so that when somebody begins to put their finger on it, somebody begins to mess with it, they get angry. The only people that get angry when you talk about adultery are people who are in adultery. The only people who get angry when you talk about murder and the fact that murder is hating someone are people who hate someone. Listen, the only people that get mad when you talk about money in the church is people who are robbing God. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 6. Yep, it's the first book in the New Testament. Let's see. 19, 619. Do you, do you do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Listen, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In verse 24, no one can serve two masters, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Understand very clearly, I'm not preaching this today because we need your money. Jesus is not short of cash. He will take care of this church. I've seen it time and time again. I am telling you this because what I realize is in our culture, our own experience, and if you are honest with your own heart, you know this, our own experience teaches us that money is the number one obstacle to keep us from fully pursuing Christ. And I am not going to stand before God Almighty one day and have to answer the question, why didn't you tell them the truth? My question to you today is, we sang the song, our God, is he? Does he have your adoration, your devotion? Is he your source of security? The third one, this will be a quick one. It's your rebellious, disrebellious. You're saved, but you're, you're disrebellious. You know what the scripture says. You, you've trusted Jesus with your life. You're just in rebellion. You're just running from God. You're running from God in a relationship or you're running from God in some sort of purity aspect in your life, what you're watching, what you're living, whatever it might be, and you're running from God financially. You know, but you're just rebellious. You're just running. That's what's going on in Malachi chapter three. Basically, Malachi's like, y'all know, listen, you want to ask this question of how do you rob God? You know, you're not honoring him with your tithes and with your offerings. You're not honoring God. And that's what Malachi is addressing, a, re a rebellious people. You know, read my 19-month-old. It's so funny, man. He is at that stage where he is so cute. Like, you know, um, another one of those things, like you could eat him with a spoon. That's just gross. I don't even know where that saying came from. But, but, but he is so cute. Like, man, he does things that are so funny. He's just learning to talk. And I swear the kid speaks in tongues. I got no idea. If anybody has the gift of interpretation, come to my house because I have no idea what the kid's talking about. He's like, I'm like, Susan, I got nothing. And then she's like, he wants some juice. I'm like, how do you know that? How do you know that? And one of the things he does is, is he'll walk up to something like, um, the remote control or something, which is sacred, right? You can't you touch the remote control in our house. It's like touching the Ark of the Covenant, you die. And he'll walk up and he'll be about to do something he's not supposed to do. And I'm like, Reed, no. He looks at me like, don't tell me what to do. He's like, what are you really going to do, fat man? You know what I'm saying? He's like, 
you can't take me out. And so he'll look at me and he'll smile and he'll do it anyway. I'm like, don't do that again. <laughs> he does it again. What is it? He's rebellious. It's ingrained in all of us. And here's the thing that is so, at 19 months, it's cute. At 40, it's not. Like he's 19 months. Some of us are 20, 25, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. Okay, if you're over 80, there's a good chance you're not here. But the reality of it is, like we know, and we're just rebellious. We're just rebellious people that have turned our back on God. And here's the thing to make this, like just wrap this one point up real quick. Listen, bottom line, you need to repent. You need to turn back to God and trust God with all of what you have, all of your being, which includes your finances. Listen, I'll tell you this. If you can trust God with your money, you can trust God with anything because there is nothing like our wallet and the money that we have that will test our hearts. Nothing. I promise. Listen, I'm not buying a beach house. Do good to pay for my house. I don't get anything from this. What I want for you is to be set free from financial bondage and be able to honor God in the way that he so deserves to be honored. The fourth one. You're going to like this one. You're broke. Fourth reason you would not give to the local church. You're broke. Can I get an Amen. Yeah, you're broke. And so you get to this place where you're like the, the grandma on Happy Gilmore, that classic movie. Anybody else seen it? Come on. Happy Gilmore. If you haven't seen Happy Gilmore, I'm pretty sure you're not saved. <laughs> but Happy Gilmore, you know, he gets on tour and, and, and he goes on tour for one reason, to get his grandma's house back because she didn't pay her taxes to the IRS. And when Happy asked her, he's like, Grandma, why didn't you pay your taxes? She said, I would have. I just didn't have any money. And for a lot of us, it's like, why don't you give to the church? I don't have any money. I'm broke. And it becomes this excuse or this scapegoat. And this is what Malachi is addressing. Listen, he's like, listen, Israelite people, understand this. You're not cursed so that you can't give. You're cursed because you aren't giving. You see the difference in that. This is what he's addressing. He's like, listen, if you will trust God, he will provide for your needs. But for many of us, we get to this place where we, we, we learn, like we become a Christian and we learn like, okay, I should honor God with my money and you know, I should give a tenth of my money to the church. And, and then, and we're like, oh gosh, I know I need to do that. And then, or maybe we're rebellious and we're running from God and we turn back to the Lord and we're like, okay, God, I need to give. And see, here's the funny thing about that is like, if you're, if you're broke, it's like you become a saved, humbled, repentant person who ain't got no money, right? You're still broke. And the problem with the church is we've always taught you, make sure you give your 10%. The problem is they don't give a flip about the other 100% or 90%. If it's all God, shouldn't we steward all of it well? And it is. And we don't want to just come here and be like, give, 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 give your 10%. I want you to understand something. This is about the whole deal that God has given you. It is about God's faithfulness and his blessing on your life and our faithfulness to trust him, that we would always give back to the Lord to remind us, one, of where the blessing came from, and two, to make sure that it never takes God's place in our heart. It's a reminder. We need to realize too that oftentimes I'm broke is an excuse. The problem's typically not how much we got coming in, it's how much we got going out. And it's not just how much we got going out, it's where it's going. For most of us, our brokenness is chalked up to messed up priorities. Here's the thing I know, you cannot honor God with your finances without adjusting your priorities and you cannot align your priorities to what God would have them to be without aligning them according to the word of God. And that's a challenge and a heart check for all of us. 
Number five, you don't realize that the local church is the bride of Christ and the hope of the world. You do not realize that the local church is the bride of Christ and the hope of the world. Listen, I'm going to read to you real quick Ephesians chapter 3. Paul in verse 7 says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power, although I'm less than the least of all God's people. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Listen to verse 10. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord that the manifold wisdom of God would be seen through the church. When we give to the local church, we are giving to the hope of the world. The church was established not so we'd have something to do on Sunday morning, but so that it could renew the face of the earth through the power of Jesus Christ. Not so that it can take up some more time, but so that we could show people the reality of who God is is. Malachi 3.12, he says that all the nations would see and call you blessed. That is the point of the blessing of God. That is why when we give to God, he meets our needs, not our greeds. It's so other people look to the house of God. They see a people who are blessed, who are walking in the spirit and power of Jesus Christ. This is about trusting him. It's not about writing a check. Our giving is a direct response to our faith and our trust in him. Not so that we can somehow buy God's favor or his approval. Do we really think God is a prostitute that we could possibly purchase some type of cheap love or affection? It's not about the money. It's about the trust and about the faith. The local church is the hope of the world. Do we really believe that God's plan will work? Second part of that is that he's the bride, or that the church is the bride of Christ. Now this scripture right here, man, this scripture pumps me up. Revelation chapter 19. And I, like you say Revelation, everybody's like, Ooh. There's like women riding dragons and all kind of stuff. You have to read it to understand that. But listen, Revelation 19, verse 5. I want you to hear this. I'm going to read uh, 3 verse 10. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his, listen, we're getting a glimpse into heaven. Praise our God, all you his servants who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah. For our Lord God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, write, blessed are those who were invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He's telling us very plainly that the church is the bride and that one day we are going to be united with him. You need to understand that when you are giving to God's church, when you're giving to the house of God, you are giving to the bride of Christ so that she can be glorious in all that she does, so that she can be seen by the world and that it would point back to the glory of God. We are the bride of Christ. The second part of this says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse. This is awesome. Listen, whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and makes war. Listen to this. His eyes, we're we're looking into the eyes of Christ. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. 
The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. It's the word of God. He, he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. By the way, it sounds like Jesus might have had a tattoo. I don't know. I'm just saying. It was written on his thigh. I don't, you know. But is that not awesome? Do you not think that Jesus is serious about his bride? Bloodstained robes and tattoos. This is like Braveheart on steroids. That he's coming back to defeat our enemies, to claim his bride. And listen, this is what's amazing. He's entrusted us with the stewardship of that until he returns. How are we doing with the stewardship of all that God has given us? Let me ask you this. If I were to go on a trip, I was like, listen, I'm going away for a long time. And when I, when I go away, I'm going to leave you with every resource that you need to make sure that my bride is taken care of, to make sure that when I come back, she is in better shape than I left her. And a lot of y'all in here, I wouldn't trust to do that, right? Because I'm jealous. But I gave you everything you need. And I went away for a long time and I came back. And when I get back, you're in my front yard. I notice you've added onto the house. I'm like, wow, that's cool. Been wanting to do that. I noticed like you're washing your new truck. I'm like, well, I wonder where that came from. I, I noticed that like the boat is parked next to the truck. And, and when I pull up, you're mentally preparing to play the next 18 holes at the club. I'm like, dang, man, you got it going on. Life has been good to you. Where's my wife? Oh, uh, whew, she's out back. And I go out back and I find my wife. She's bedraggled. She's, her hair's a mess. She hasn't been able to bathe. She's starving. In fact, so weak that she was unable to take care of my children. How do you think I'm going to react? I'm telling you. It would not be pretty, preacher or not. I'm going off on somebody like I would an umpire. That's all I'm saying. If you're here last week, you know what I'm talking about. Got one again yesterday. Cha-ching, notching my belt. How would I respond? And when we think about the church in correlation as the bride of Christ, that whole Jesus coming back in a bloodstained robe and us being held responsible for how we have taken care of her doesn't sound so appealing. We're going to be held responsible for how we care for his bride and how we trust him with what we've been given. Do we realize that the local church is the hope of the world? Do we realize that we are the bride of Christ, that the local church is the bride of our Lord? Last one, and we'll be done. You got to hear my heart in this or else y'all are going to really get ticked off now. Number six, you're in the wrong church. You're in the wrong church. And I say that not like saying, get out. You know, that ain't what I'm saying. I realized a few weeks ago that there's some things that we as the church are called to do for you in the area of giving. One of those is to teach you why we give. Tried to do that a little bit earlier today and throughout this message, that it's an act of trust and faith. The second one is to teach you how to give and how to steward 100% of what God has given us. And we're gonna do that in July. You've heard us talk about these financial classes. Listen. If you're struggling financially and you do not sign up for these classes, that would be like me offering you a drink of water when you're about to perish of thirst and you're not taking it. You need to be in these classes if your finances are not in a situation that you can't honor God. 
So I realized that we need to teach you why we give. We need to teach you how to steward 100% of what God's given you. The third thing that I realized that we are responsible for as the church is to give you a compelling reason that ties to the vision of God's church, the big C, and the vision of this church. And we have tried to do that. Listen, I'm learning a lot of stuff as we go along. I've told you before, I do not claim to know how to pastor this church 100%. I'm learning stuff every day. One of the things we try to do the past month or two is to really help you see where your finances are going. We've shown you things like the salvation bags last week that you purchased so other people can take their next steps of faith in Jesus. We've shown you the mission trip teams and we've told you, you have helped to make this happen. We've shown you baptism videos. We've shown you um, all kinds of different aspects of what goes on in the church so that you can see how your money that you are faithfully stewarding, that you are giving to the church is making an impact on the lives of people. And we want you to understand this. And in order to do it, I want to just share a couple of things with you that I want you to understand have happened since January 1st, 2012. The first one is we have baptized 63 people since January 1st, 2012. That's pretty phenomenal. The second, we had 69 salvations. And listen, we don't care. A lot of times people raise their hands or they make these, these commitments to Christ that in the service. If we don't get a card on them and we're not able to contact them, we don't even count that. Because we know that salvation is a beginning of a journey, it's not the end of a journey. It's the beginning of a whole new life. But we've seen 69 salvations. We've had 170 people sign up for connect groups. We believe that real life change happens, that we live out our Christian faith in small groups, in intimate community. We've seen 170 people take their next step to do that. We've seen 96 people sign up to be connectors. We've had 84 first-time givers who have said, I want to begin to trust God with my finances. I'm glad y'all are pumped about that and everything, but that's pretty awesome. And I can tell you this, I'm so thankful to be a part of what God's doing. And I want you to know I'm all in here. I believe in what God's doing. But listen, if that doesn't jack you up, like get you excited about what God is doing in this house, as politely as I know to tell you, you're probably in the wrong church. And I don't blame you for not giving anything here. My recommendation and my advice Find a church with a vision that you can be excited about. If you're not excited about salvations, baptisms, people getting in small groups and missions, seeing our kids grow up knowing Jesus, our youth living for God, this is the wrong place. Because that's what we're about. And that's what we're going to do. And I can tell you this, if everybody leaves, I know I got a small group of people around me that are going to charge the gates of hell with water pistols if we have to. And I'm not backing down. We are going to carry the gospel forward. We're going to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And we're going to continue to see people come to know the Lord and life change happen. My question to you, is this a house that God's called you to be in? Is this where God want you to be because I believe this with all my heart the impact we have on the world is up to us the impact we have on this community is up to us God has told us in his words if you ask me I'll give you the nations if you ask me you can't fathom what I'll do but let, let me be very clear it will not happen because we simply show up on Sunday morning. We'll have to be all in. It means that your life is consumed by God. It means that God is not a priority. He is the director and the establisher of our priorities. So my question to you is how big an impact do you want to make? How big a splash do you want to make? 
And am I saying that we have to have financial uh, stewardship? And, and am I saying that, that we have to have resources in order to impact the community? Yes. One, because if God can't trust us with money, do you really think he's going to trust us with his people? And two, you can't feed hunger. You can't clothe, clothe the, the unclothed. You can't put people who are uh, homeless up in a hotel. You can't buy resources for children. You can't um, staff a church to take care of folks and to help people grow. You can't do any of that with money. Don't be so uh, spooky spiritual to say that God can do anything. He doesn't have to really. He's already told us what to do. The question is, will we do it? Today, I'm going to close out with this. You got this card, and it's a handy-dandy card you get every week with some announcements that nobody reads. I meant um, with announcements on the front. And on the front of it, it's got where you can put your name, and if you're accepting Christ today, you want to receive a newsletter. On the back, it's got something a little different this week, and I want to point your attention to it. It says, I recognize the need to take my next step in supporting the local church by. And it's got five different things there. I want to run through them real quick. It says, committing my life to Christ. Listen, if you're not saved, that's your first step. That is your next step. If God is not on the door of your heart, and listen, by talking about money, you've realized, like, he doesn't have my heart. He is not my Lord and my Savior. Today you can trust him as your personal savior and establish a personal relationship with him and begin a journey with the Lord. Maybe that's your next step in supporting the church is becoming a part of the church. The second one, committing to join the next finance class. Again, if your finances are in shambles, you need to be in this class. There is no shame in that. But shame on you if you know it and you refuse to become educated about how God would have you honor his finances. The third one is committing to make Connection Church my home. Listen, you need to decide if this is where you want to be. If it's not, that's cool, man. There's like 142,000 churches or something like that in Bullitt County. And if this isn't it, that is cool, but get somewhere where you can invest and you can be excited about the vision. The fourth one, committing to give cheerfully and generously to the church. Listen, maybe your next step is to say, God, I'm going to honor you with my finances. I'm going to honor you with all that you've given me. I'm going to honor you today, Lord, for the rest of my life. I want to cut that string from, from my wallet to my heart that's been robbing you of my adoration. I want to make you my source of security. And I'm going to give generously to the church. And the last one is renewing my commitment to give as an act of worship, not out of ab- obligation. Some of you, listen, are given every month. You are faithfully given or every week. You are faithfully given. My challenge to you is, has that just become something you do? Or is it still an act of worship? Just because you drop a check in the plate doesn't mean you're honoring God with your finances. Is it still an act of worship? Is it time that you trust him with more? Those are the challenges today. And listen, we're about to sing one last song. We're getting out of here. While we sing this song, we're going to ask you to take your next step of faith. And when you do that, we're going to take up our offering right here at the stage today. And you can come and you can drop your card in here. You can drop your tithe in here. And then you can go back to your seat. Listen, you got a pot roast in the oven. Go ahead and you check out, man. It's awesome. But don't do it without taking your next step. If you know God is leading you to take one of these next steps, you take it. If there's one we haven't thought of, you write it on there. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing and you can get out of here.